Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. All right, all right, all right. We're all back with the podcast. This is Matthew McConaughey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that one, Matthew. Um, Matthew, all right. Oh, yes. This is Nathaniel uh, McConaughey. And uh, <laughs> just want to welcome you back to another fun-filled, exciting, and uh, obviously frivolous episode of, uh, of This Is Not Church, the podcast that my brother John and I host. Uh, we have the honor today of not introducing John because it always gets out of hand. And now he's shaking his head. Stop it. Don't be such a baby. Anyway, our guest today is, a, is, is an awesome guy. I'm just super excited to hear what he's got to say. I guarantee you um, it's going to be enlightening and interesting. And this is uh, James Early. I said that correctly, right? That's it. Hi. Okay. I wasn't sure. I, just because it's spelled that way, I'm like, oh, maybe the one time I didn't check. But like, oh, actually, sir, it's Erle. Um, <laughs> James Erle Jones uh, is here. He's a, he's a Bible crazy. teacher. Go ahead, sir. Oh, I'm just great to be here. Thanks for it's, it's oh, a real honor. Let, let, let me read this real quick, and then we'll man, we're going to jump feet first into uh, into what I hope is an awesome, interesting conversation. So, so James is a Bible teacher, a speaker, a blogger, soon to be author, and a Jesus mindset coach. Uh, since October 2008, James has conducted a weekly Bible study at the Federal Corrections Institute institution in Danbury, Connecticut. James gives talks and conducts workshops on the Bible, covering a wide range of topics to churches and groups, as well as in the prisons. Uh, James grew up in Amarillo, Texas, and was a member of the Presbyterian Church. In high school, he became dissatisfied with some of the things he was being taught there and started going to the Christian Science Church, which he has been a member of ever since. Currently, James lives in Bethel, Connecticut, with his wife, Polly Castor. They have three grown children, which are homeschooled all the way through high school. James was a full-time stay-at-home dad for 10 years when they started their family. James loves the garden in his spare time. Boy, you're not, long, you're not dying, on these, these, these bios you write are, are long. <laughs> James James started the Bible Speaks to You podcast in the fall of 2019 to explore uh, the here and nowness of the kingdom of heaven and how it impacts our daily lives. The purpose of his podcast is to get back to the original Christianity of Jesus without all the things we've added in the last 2,000 years. Ah, that's awesome, man. So much stuff to talk about. That just leaves us plenty of fertile ground to to explore. So everybody, welcome to the podcast. James Early. Welcome, sir. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, we're glad you're here. Um, I would normally ask you about your, you know, I will ask you about your faith journey because it says in your bio that you became dissatisfied. Um, and I'm always a little bit curious what the, uh, sort of what the the origins of that, that, that dissatisfaction might have been. I know it's a little bit different for everybody, but. Well, that's really a great question. And um, my dad was a Presbyterian and my mom was a Christian scientist. And we ended up, as a child, I went to the Presbyterian church and, went through the communicants class and joined the church when I was 13. And it was my church. We went every Sunday. I went to Sunday school, had some friends there and everything. But when I was in high school, you know, some of the questions, some of the answers to my questions really were not very satisfying. Basic things like, uh, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And the just the way they answered it, didn't sound like the God that I believed in. And I really came to think that, well, that's really the the wrong question even because it, it assumes a premise. The thing that really got me off, and I think it was maybe just this one guy, because it was a good church. It was not, um, it, it was not a, an unhappy or 
unfortunate experience is just this one particular Sunday school teacher said, well, God does not talk to us today. We have the Bible and that's all we need. And I don't know that other, I don't think that was a Presbyterian church doctrine. I really don't know, but I, yeah, that I sounds knew, very Baptist. Yeah, I, I knew my grandmother had had an experience where God told her specifically to get on a plane the day sooner than she was supposed to. You could change your reservations real easily back then. And, you know, it made all the difference in this trip she made. And I tried to explain that to the, the guy and he, he wouldn't buy it. And there were other things that just sounded like they were just saying the same pat answers that they'd said for hundreds of years. And I thought, that's that doesn't satisfy me. So my mom said, well, why don't you check out the Christian Science Church and see what you think? So that's kind of, it was not some big tumultuous thing. It was just sort of that spiritual uh, curiosity on my part of looking for deeper answers. Yeah. I mean, that is one of those answers or one of those questions that, um, if we're honest, and then we had a really good uh, discussion with uh, um, a guy whose name I also butchered, Jonathan Foster. But that, <laughs> I think I called him Jonathan Forrester like three times. <laughs> but anyway, and um, and that was one of those answers, one of those things that, that we got off on was like, okay, this 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 concept of uh, being intellectually honest, you know, and, and what that was really a linchpin for him was like he was you know, had grown up in these churches where these answers that were given, man, they, they just, they were so intellectually dishonest. I mean, it, it, it's, you pretty much had to accept it on faith based on the authority of the person telling you. And, you know, for example, your, your, your question of why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I, and I, I agree with you. It's also, it's, it's a, it's a question that, that's based on a false premise. I get that. But the answer was always, you know, at least from, from certain perspectives, well, there are no good people. So oh. next, oh, oh, that's right. a John yeah. Ivory kind of right. That's a that's a John MacArthur kind of. Oh, we just yeah. kicked two puppies. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in that like in that. So I, in fact, I've even seen you know quotes attributed to them where they. I think they both at one point said something to the effect of, "Well, there's no such thing as good people," you know, and even and they don't even omit children from from you know. There's no so how come how come God allows innocent children? Well, there's no such thing as innocent children. I'm like, what a demonic, <laughs> what, well, and, what a terrible really, thing to say. And, you know, that goes completely against what Jesus said repeatedly. I, it dawned on me recently that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is talking to a big crowd. And if those kind of people were there today, just like the Pharisees were back in his day, they were looking out at the crowd and saying, some of these people look pretty suspect. You know, some of these yeah. people don't come to synagogue enough. They're not studying the scriptures. They're they're those wicked, terrible sinners because they're not obeying all the laws. But Jesus said to everybody in that crowd, you're the light of the world. He didn't yeah. say just some of you are the light of the world. He said it to everybody. And when they brought little kids to him, he said, this is the way the kingdom of heaven is. He didn't say, oh, they're a bunch of miserable sinners. Right, I mean, we right. have to really, this is why, as you said in my intro, uh, my bio, I'm trying to get back to what Jesus actually said. Yeah, well, perish the thought. Okay. <laughs> it's so rich with substance that so many people have, you know, sort of zoomed past. And well, it, don't you find it too that I mean, as as we've, you know, we've obviously we live, we've lived in this Christian milieu for lack of a better, better most of our lives. It's so much ingrained in our culture. Even if you're not a Christian, you know, you know, you know enough of this to to, to recognize snippets even from say the Sermon on the Mount, right? So. So you get to a point sometimes where those, where those words can lose their revolutionary meaning 
simply because we've incorporated them so much and we've heard them so often. And it's difficult sometimes to take a step back and try to hear them with fresh ears and go, actually, no, what he's saying there is crazy. Oh, it was startling. He, he made statements that were completely, he turned things upside down. He even tells us he's doing that in the Sermon on the Mount, but he's always turning things upside down. And he says, you got to think completely differently about all this stuff. That's what the word repent means, you know. Right, right. Uh, you've got to completely change your perspective. And yeah. um, I don't think we've done that enough. <laughs> no, and I think it's that if, if the church has a has a task at all, and I think it does, I think the task of the church is to keep that in front of us all the time is to not let us forget how absolutely countercultural everything that Jesus said was. Not so, and that's what I think. My, my issue with the church, and I've written about this pretty extensively, but my issue is that is that we've turned everything that Jesus meant to be countercultural cultural into a little subculture, right? And we've just sort of <laughs> cordoned ourselves off. We've put ourselves in little hermetically sealed bubbles. We only shop at the Christian bookstore where we get our little tchotchkes with crosses on them. And uh, we live in this little world. We've even created our own little music genres and everything. And then we've just ceased to understand, I mean, or we've forgotten, I guess, maybe there's some selective amnesia that goes on that says, actually, we're supposed to be running in the opposite direction all the time, you know? And, and I think at any point where we realize that we're, we're moving in, you know, in, in tandem with the world, and by that, I mean our, our, our attitudes toward violence, our attitude towards, you know, inclusivity or exclusion, those kinds of things, empire building, Man, we have got to man, we got to be sensitive to that and be looking to go the other direction. Wouldn't you, I mean? What would you well, say to that? And, and this is what I encourage on my podcast is a lot of times I'll say, imagine you're wearing the sandals, the centurion who comes to Jesus for healing, or imagine you're the the innkeeper of the you know that turned Mary and Joseph away at Christmas time. Imagine I try to put people in in other people's shoes so they can get see a different perspective because we we've as you said we've we've heard these things so much we don't even listen to the words anymore and uh we have to that's why I love looking at different translations of the bible and seeing how it says it in a fresh way or you know we we just got to get back to these original things that Jesus said and did and and see how they apply to us Right. No, I got you, man. You say something, John? I'm sorry, man. No, no, I didn't say oh. anything. I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting here enjoying your guys' conversation. <laughs> you look like you started to, and you're like, nah, nah. No, I was just, uh, you know, I was, as you said, you know, looking, you know, reading different uh, translations. I just got this, uh, this translation, well, not just, I got a little bit ago, an indigenous translation of the New Testament, First Nations version. So this is, uh, this is going to be my next uh, oh, version cool. of the Bible I'm going to read. I'm really excited to look into this one. This is a recommendation from uh, Mr. Bradley Jersak. So I'm, well, I'm really well, looking forward to that one. Uh, I, I figure if, if 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 Mr. Bradley Jersak says it's a good it's a good uh, translation, it, it probably yeah. is. Hey, are you getting paid to say it like that? Yes, <laughs> I am. Every time you yes, say yes, his yes, name, yes, you should yes. say Doctor Mr. Bradley Doctor Mr. Bradley Jersak. <laughs> I mean, we want to be you know, we want to give all due deference. <laughs> <laughs> to Mr. Bradley Jersak. Um, anyway, no, I, we love Brad, man. Love him to death. I, I need to get a copy of that, John. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like I said, I just got it. I haven't even opened it, but I'm looking really forward to it. Looking really forward. That was a good sentence for you. I'm looking well, you really know, are, forward to it. You are a professional it. communicator, John. This <laughs> well, is becoming uh, more and more evident. Now that now that we've gone gone completely off the rails, I do I do have a question. 
Um, so as you said that you, uh, you were, the, the idea came up to try out Christian science as uh, a, a place to check out. Uh, was there someone in your family who was already a Christian science or, or yeah, in that yeah. church or? Yeah, my mom it, was his, a Christian scientist. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, like we talked a little bit before we hit record, you know, Christian science, specifically in the evangelical word, world is a church that a lot of people are like, eh, yeah, you know, you don't want to go there. That's, you know, they, they aren't real Christians, you know, right? <laughs> so I, well, I figured there must pretty... have been someone in your family who was Christian science, or I don't think it would have been a, a recommendation that just kind of pops up, right? At least not in our well, world. In, I, you in, know. in my, yeah, in my case, it was my mom and my grandmother. No. Um, and okay. so I knew of it, but I didn't really know much about it. Uh, one of the things that appealed to me early on was, I don't know if you know much about the history of the Christian Science Church. It was actually started no. by a woman started by a, a woman uh, in New England back in the 1870s. She had uh, grown up as a, well, a member of the Congregational Church, I think, and had been very religious, always looked at, the, always read the Bible and turned to God for help. But she'd had a very sickly life. She had a lot of health challenges. And she tried everything she could and never found um, really complete freedom from all these things. And there was one point after a very serious accident, she was basically on her deathbed and the doctors had done everything they could. And she asked somebody to bring her her Bible and she opened up to a place where Jesus healed someone. And all of a sudden she just felt God's presence with her and she was instantly well. And it's like, I mean, it surprised her. It surprised Everybody, her friends and family who were in the room expecting her to not live through the day. And she wondered, you know, why did this happen to me? Why did it happen now? Can it happen again? Can I help other people? And she started through her prayers. She was she was healing people. And she eventually, the real short story is she wrote a book and she started a church. And so the thing that appealed to me about the Christian Science Church is getting back to this healing part of Jesus's ministry, which, um, you know, for for many, many centuries has been, well, ignored or said, well, that only happened back in the apostolic age, that sort of thing. Uh, and when she had that experience and started healing other people, a lot of people loved it. A lot of people didn't because they said, you can't do that. Plus, she was a woman, all that kind of stuff. But um, I real, I've had some pretty incredible healing experiences in my own life. And uh, I mean, that's pretty much why I got interested in Christian science. And one of the reasons I'm still a member of that church is, well, and also it really answers my questions about God and my relationship to him. It gave me something that made sense to me. And um yeah. No, I'm, all of that obviously valid. I mean, we all have our reasons for landing where we land, right? I mean, there's there's going to be something there that that speaks to us and has to resonate with us. And I, I'm I'm like John. I'm I, I don't know much about honestly. I don't much. I don't know much about a lot of different denominations. You're you're not really that that much of a minority. I've always been a sort of non-denominational guy throughout my life, and so um, I can paint with very broad strokes. You know, I know what you know Methodists believe, sort of, and you know what I'm saying. Um, right. But I'm, I'm by no means um, an expert on any of that. But I do know that to whatever degree that that whatever church you attend, if, if it functions for you, man, that's 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 all I've ever told people is, hey, that's we're trying to find places where we can grow, where we can be healthy, 
um, where we can find some authentic communication oh, or connection. Man. That is so, that's so right. And, and I have found that in the Christian Science Church. And, yeah. you know, I have, I've, I've, I've been thinking a lot for years about Paul's reference to the church as the body of Christ. And I really, I love that metaphor because it helps me see how we can all be different and yet still be connected. Yeah, absolutely. In in my Bible classes at the Danbury Prison, there I have people from all different denominations and backgrounds, and uh, we don't always agree theologically on everything. And I say that's okay. Yeah. Imagine, imagine if you put um, if you had six iPhones and you put one on your head and one on your shoulder and one on your waist, your knee, your foot, and one on your back, and turn on the video uh, camera and went down the street your body would go through one event, but you'd have six completely different videos because they were taken from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And what happens with the body of Christ is you have somebody that thinks they are the right hand of the body of Christ and they look down at the left foot and they think, well, they're not like me, so they must not be a Christian. And so they're trying to convert that part of the body of Christ to, to look like them but that's not really authentic. And Paul even says, if the whole body is a hand, where's the body? So I have come to really appreciate the wide variety of uh, flavors of Christianity, if you will. Because yeah. I learn I learn from people, I, I learn more from people I disagree with than just hanging out with people I agree with all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, echo chambers can be fun. But but you don't grow in them. Well, there's a there's <laughs> a know? place for that. It's a nur- It can be a nurturing place, but if you're just repeating truisms to yourself, that doesn't help anybody. But if you if you're really you know looking and exploring at new ideas with somebody you don't see eye to eye on, I mean that's when I learn more about myself and I learn more about them and I realize we have more in common sometimes, but we have different language to talk about it. I just love someone who believes in Christ, whatever label they have on their head, that doesn't matter to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the further down the road I get, the less I care about labels anyway. Um, <laughs> and some of them are less than, they're, they're, they're worse than, than, they're worse than not useful. You know, sometimes right. they're just downright misleading. And so um, I just, <laughs> did you, John, did you read that thing that Rob, Rob Bell said the other day when he was interviewed about? No. Um, oh, I, I, I won't. I won't quote the whole thing because we'll get our we'll, we'll get our explicit rating right off the bat. But um, that's fine. But essentially, it's what you and I have been talking about. John and I have been talking about this Christian this this term or this label of Christian and whether or not it's useful, even you know. And um, so John's sort of on the on the on the side of like, eh, it's not useful anymore. It, it, it there's too many too many connotations that come it with it that I then have to explain, yeah. right? I then have to say, well, you know, I have to qualify. I've, I'm Am I Christian? Well, if, if by Christian you mean this, then no, I'm not this, right? If you think of a certain political ideology or a certain sort of light, you know, outlook on, no, I'm not that. Um, and Rob Bell <laughs> just kind of like doubled, tripled, and quadrupled down. I'm like, like uh, he said, uh, F yes, I'm a Christian. Um, I'm not letting them take it away from me. That's my label. I, it works for me. Everyone else can go get bent. Now, I paraphrased all of that, but. Fine, but I agree. I don't think that the word is wrong. It's just, it's been used the wrong way and we need to redeem it. Uh, And, you know, 
whatever label we put on ourselves, it's about what's in your heart and it's about whether, oh, yeah. you're, whether you're doing what Jesus said to do. Right. Uh, well, every, can, every label will ultimately fall short, won't it? Yeah. I, yeah, mean, yeah, totally. I mean, there's no way you can encompass somebody and go, well, what are you? Well, I'm a Christian. Well, that covers the sum total of who you are. Well, um, and, yeah, that, and that can't be. Like you, like you said, whose definition of a Christian? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't even say that I agree with him, John. I just thought it was funny that it came yeah. up, you know, and, well, and, and he I, was you know, so... It's, he, and it's come up, right? Be, well, and he, Rob tends to be one of those guys that does like to... He doesn't like to give answers like that, usually. He usually right. likes to go, well, you know, hey, uh, you know, he's, 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 <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He's just, he would rather just get you thinking than give you some pat answer. Um, so for him to be as declarative as he was, and in, and in an interview, by the way, this wasn't just something in passing. Um, yeah. I thought that was revealing about his journey. He's good probably coming, you know, good, yeah, for good for him. Well, right, I, but. I mean, for me, you know, the, the, the label Christian, because, because I, like we have said, it has so much baggage connected to it. Uh, and because I have dropped that from my, from, I don't want to say my language, but from my personal connection to God, Jesus, divine, whatever. Um, and it's, it's the same reason, uh, I have a hard time telling, you know, when people ask me if I'm a Republican or a Democrat, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of baggage with both of those words. And, you know, there's a lot of clarification if you say, well, I'm a Democrat, but I'm, I'm more of a, like, I'm, I'm a Kennedy Democrat. I'm a, I'm a so-and-so Democrat. I'm a so-and-so Republican. You know, I think, you know, I have very strong opinions on, Republican Party right now, but I would have maybe less opinions on the Republican Party of a different era. So for me, the label Christian has for right now, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not ever going to change, but for right now has too much baggage. So when, uh, when someone asks me, are you a Christian? The, the response I ask now is, well, what, is, what does that mean to you? What yeah. do you think oh, that means to you? That's a and then good, from yeah. that answer, what they give me, I can say, well, yeah, I'm that, or no, I'm absolutely not that. And uh, sadly, uh, more often than not, I'm telling them that I'm not that <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's true. because of the because of what people um, connect to Christianity. You know, especially right now, Christianity automatically means you are ultra conservative. You are a Trump supporter. You're an anti vaxxer You. Um, you know, and the list goes on and on. And um, like, so far, I'm on yeah. board, John, with all that. What, what else you got? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm none of that. So, uh, no, not oh, that. You know I mean, Jesus' cool. follower is at the bottom of that list by uh, by a landslide. Yeah, and that's by a country mile. And, and and that yeah. is that's really what I'm trying to do in my ministry is get people back to just following Jesus because that to me is kind of what it's all about, obviously, you know, um, and, and we, we have gotten so far away from that. And I think this whole thing of being a Christian to me is basically, I have a pretty, pretty low entry level here. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that's pretty much, and you could argue what that means, but I've heard people argue so much about theology. I think some people have more faith in their theology than they do their relationship with God or they, or even their faith in God or Jesus. They believe their theology more and they've made a little God out of their theology. And so um, I'm more interested in getting back to, you know, what does it mean to 
love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love your enemies? If you went through the Sermon on the Mount and took each one of those like you had never heard it before, there's some pretty bold stuff in there. And to put all that into practice, that's, oh, yeah. hard, that's hard work sometimes, you know? Well, and at the end, I mean, the reality is that's a lifetime's worth of work. It totally. You know, I mean, totally. so... so what I often tell people when they start getting, when they want to boondog, and I love theology. I'll argue theology with anybody anytime. It's a lot of, I, it is a it is a hobby of mine. I like it. But when it comes down to whether I'm going to let that divide me from other people, you know, I I, I often tell my, because my, I, I pastor a small church and, you know, we talk about this all the time. And I'm like, listen, when you've done all of those things that you're supposed to do, and you've loved your neighbor perfectly, and you've loved your enemy perfectly, and you've done all these things that are so very, very difficult that Jesus has told us that we know for sure he told us to do. Like there's no, there's not, there's not a shadow of a doubt that these things are right, right inside the lane of being what anybody would say is Christian. When all that is said and done, if you got time left over to argue about the rapture or you want to discuss about, you know, you want to discuss the infallibility of scripture, you want, okay, fine, let's give it a go. But my guess is we're never going to get to that part. We're going to spend our lifetimes just trying to love the people next to us the best way we possibly can. And uh, I'd rather not waste any more energy on the other stuff. No, I really love your heart there because we, that's what we need. That's what the world needs. You know, it's not your theology that saves you anyway. No, God help us if it is or we're all screwed. <laughs> because <laughs> even, even Paul had the humility to say, I see things through a glass darkly. Right. You know, he had the humility to admit, I don't understand it all right now. And yet people bow down almost and lick his feet uh, to um, say he was, he had all this perfect doctrine, but he admitted he didn't know everything. And, you know, we, we can only follow that example, really. Right. I, I was actually writing, uh, I want to get on the subject of your soon-to-be authorship as well. Um, that's that's interesting, but um, I'm writing. I'm actually in the middle of writing a book as well, and um, so I, I got to a point where I'm 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 trying to look at the scripture where 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 Paul says to follow me as I follow Christ, right? Or depending on the translation, says imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I'm like, well, so are we talking about followership or are we talking about imitation? Which are two different things, right? Oh, because, totally. You know, followers follow regardless of whatever the action is. I mean, the guy could be a total hypocrite and you might still follow him. Um, but then I was wondering about that word as, because what is he, what is, you know, in English, it's problematic because I could be saying, listen, imitate me as, as in because. Imitate me because I follow Christ or imitate me because I imitate Christ. Or is he inviting, or is he inviting <laughs> us? Or is Paul, is Paul is inviting it? us? I made up a new word, John. You like it? Inviting. I like I'm going to use it's it. a good one. Paul's done inviting us. He's saying, come on down. But is he inviting us to to imitate him um, to the degree that yes. he imitates Christ or or in the way that he does? I can't be the first one. I, I think I love that sense. That's what I was thinking even before you said it, to the degree. And I think that's any leader, any church leader yeah. uh, should be saying, only follow me to the degree that I am following Christ. Yeah. Because, if you see attitudes and actions in me that are absolutely right. unchristlike, please feel free to call bullshit on it and say no. Okay, thank yeah. you. Doing it. I will. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and everyone no. should. And I, no. honestly, and I think and I think Paul would recognize, and obviously Paul did recognize in himself 
his own tendencies to mess up. You know, what, why else does he launch into his diatribe about those things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. He has a, he's got conflict in his own self. So I think there's enough humility in Paul to say, listen, when you see those things in me that are reflective of Christ, then by all means, do those things also. Um, but I think that's as much an invitation to not follow things that, you know, maybe personality traits in Paul that maybe were caustic or, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever, 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 whatever his, you know, his particular thorn in the flesh was, who knows? Right. Um, maybe it was just, he was a, well, you know, a big jerk, but. <laughs> I, I, I want to get back real quickly to your comment about, are we following Christ or are we copying him? Because if you yeah, just yeah. repeat Jesus's words and repeat uh, his actions like a magic formula, that's not going to work. He wanted us, I think he wanted us to be conscious of what we were doing, follow him because we were choosing to uh, embrace his ideas, his teachings, and follow his example. And anytime there's a mindless, you know, just following because somebody said so, and you're just copying what somebody else did, I mean, that's when I first got serious about my faith. That's what I did. I just copied what other people said, and I had all the little pat things to do and say, and and that wasn't really my faith. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've made it my own now. So yeah, I mean, I, I think of it like uh, like learning to dance, right? And I don't know a thing about dancing, so if this metaphor falls flat, uh, I apologize You're ahead of time. But from such experience, aren't you? <laughs> from such experience, I would say that the first, when you first begin to learn to dance, I, I would imagine you're simply copying the instructor. You know, you're doing, hey, step here, step here, step here, step here, and you can become a, I guess, a, a competent dancer that way. Um, oh, how, okay, fine. I did know. I did know about music. Okay, fine. So let's talk about I music. Was, then. I was gonna. I was gonna. Yeah, actually, I'm not sure yeah, why use... we would dance when I'm a musician. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. So yeah, when I first started thing. learning how to play the violin, it was played this note. Da 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 da, and exactly, exactly. And you spend, you know, your formative years in music, just trying to be able to play the music that's in front of you. But great musicians don't stop there. Right. Great musicians take all of that information and embellish. And they right. add and they improvise totally. and they stay within the framework. Well, some of them don't. John Cage never did, but he was a, a weirdo. But mo- you know, for the most part, you stay within the framework of a scale and you stay within the framework of a key signature and you stay within, you know, and then you, but man, you're, there's a whole lot of freedom. That's a much better metaphor, John. Why you don't know, you, well, you let me yeah, go off the yeah. dancing crap? Well, I, think, I think you could take it <laughs> a, a step farther uh, than that too, because there is a connection with music and musicians, and there's a couple journeys you can go on as you go down that that road of becoming a better musician. And you can either go into a very institutionalized version of music, which is uh, you, um, you almost are told you cannot think for yourself when you're playing music, you're recording music, because everything needs to be a very specific way. Uh, there is no um, heart in it. Uh, Nat and I had the pleasure of playing with a musician who I consider one, one of the best musicians I ever played with, but everything was written out. He wrote out everything he ever did, including guitar solos, everything. Every single note was exactly right, exactly where it was supposed to be at exactly the right time. Uh, and someone like Nat here, um, also an amazing musician, also an amazing guitar player, but Every single note just came from someplace else, someplace deeper in in his heart, and so the style was different. There was there was nuance. There was yes. There was so much more to it, and you could. Uh, whereas 
this other guitar player that we knew. Um, everything was, it was great. It was, it was perfect, but there was no heart behind it. And you didn't connect. I never connected with it the same as I did when I heard Nat play. Uh, there was a connection to that music. Uh, I felt the pain when we were playing like a, a, a blues song. And I can say the same for church, right? Church has a tendency sometimes to put us into these boxes where these, this is what we learned. This is how we say it. Never say it different. Don't do it any different. And there's no heart in it. There's no love in it. That is so true. And, and it's so sad. I had yeah. a lady in my, uh, one of my Bible study classes at the prison and she had grown up in a church. I don't know what denomination it was where she was not allowed to ask questions. Yeah. She was told, this is what we believe. And, it, and she had some really good questions, but they wouldn't, well, they wouldn't entertain them because that meant she was being doubtful and that she wasn't being true to the faith. And so she would ask these questions in the Bible study. And over a period of two years, all the other women just loved it when she would bring things up because they'd either been thinking about the questions or they'd never even thought of these questions. She was a really, I mean, she was not a super educated woman, but she was really smart. And she had a mind for this stuff. And I just let her, I didn't tell her what the answers were. I just said, well, let's look at some things in the Bible. And you think, I was the first person that allowed her to think for herself, I think, you know, in a religious context. And at the end of the two years that she was in my class, she said, Mr. Early, I want to tell you something. When I came to prison two years ago, I hated myself. I felt terrible about my crime. I was estranged from my family. I didn't have a faith in God. And I was on five medications for my, for, for depression. And now, this is like the day before she got released. She said, now I feel good about myself. I've made peace with my crime. My family relationships have been restored. I believe in God again, and I'm off all my medications. And it's all because I was in your Bible study. And I was kind of like, oh, wow. I had no idea. I mean, I knew she, she kind of had an attitude, but I just gave her freedom to well, yeah, I mean, to, to yeah. fly and look what a difference it made in that person's life. And so, you know, if I had just been repeating the the same old thing that everybody says, that wouldn't have done anything for her. And that's kind of what you're talking about. And yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting because it it, it it's you know that 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 sort of sense of becoming technically proficient at something, you know, like uh, maybe like, that's like music, for example, yeah. and then. Yeah, I think the first step is is realizing that 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 doesn't mean anything, you know. But, I, but, I, I had the privilege of of youth pastoring for several years, and in my mind, and I still believe this, by the way, if you can grab a hold of kids when they're twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and you can really instill in them a sense of who they are and of who God thinks they are and what God really looks like, uh, man, you could save them a lifetime. Of, oh, of agony and pain and crap, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I had a, I had a, you know, I can think of a couple um, people in my youth group over the years who would, they would interrupt, and they were welcome to do so, but interrupt some little sermonette I was giving. I go, okay, okay, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense, you know. I have a crazy, you know, or they have just some off the wall question, and man, my stance always was, there's, yeah, ask away, please. I, I'm not promising you any answers here, but let's let's have the freedom to you know, express our doubts. You're probably not the only one in the room who's thinking this, you know? Right. And so, um, I don't know. That's just, that to me, um, the difference is, you know, education versus indoctrination, you know? Yes. And, and we've, we've opted for the latter very, very often because it's easier 
um, and it produces sometimes more predictable results. Um, well, and you don't have man. to think for yourself. Yeah, you don't. You, sure. Yeah, you just you say, "Oh, well, so and so," and yeah, that doesn't serve anybody. It's it's not. So I I I, I, you're, I think you're the second person that we've had on who is um, really involved in prison ministry, and the first was uh, was Douglas Campbell, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Doug and his work. Um, um, but he is, gosh, Douglas is probably one of the preeminent Pauline scholars of the 21st century. I mean, he is just fantastic. But um, when we, we got ready to interview him, a friend of ours said, hey, whatever you do, ask him about prison ministry because that's what really gets him going. That's really what fires him up. And he is just... Oh, man, I've had some incredible experiences um, in the prison of people. Most everyone says to me, I have rediscovered my faith because they've been indoctrinated Absolutely. And we yeah. just get back to what the the Bible stories, you know, what what does Jesus say about it? what are the relationships? What can you learn about yourself or about God, or about other people from these stories? Because they're just people like you and me. And sure. uh, anyway, it's 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 one of the highlights of my week. Man, that's amazing. I love that. I, I uh, b- before we move on to talk about the book, John, you keep looking like you want to jump in and say something. But oh, I was just going to say, you know, and, uh, within <laughs> <laughs> within uh, prison ministry, uh, I, it's it's shocking how well. First of all, how shocking it is that it's such a simple connection to make, but at the same time, so hard because they have been told and taught that they are horrible people. That what you know because of where they are and what they have done. They are, they are not savable, right? And it's just interesting that if you really got to the, the meat of what Jesus is saying when he speaks, these are, uh, these are the people that he connected with the most. These people that, uh, the Pharisees would say are, um, they're, you know, they're, they're worthless. They have no, they have no worth to me. Um, I don't have time for them. Look at them. They're untouchable, all that, right? And so right. Jesus basically takes that and flips it and turns it on his head. And then somewhere in the last 2000 years, we've flipped it back. And we were like, <laughs> no, you know, uh, they are so far gone. Let's, let's lock them away. Let's pretend they don't exist. Let's pretend that they aren't even around in our society with this some um, this crazy notion that we're somehow rehabilitating them, which we're not, because that's not what prisons are for. And that's another whole, you know, rabbit hole we could go down. But but it's so easy to connect with them and and give them hope because no one has given them that. No one has taken and, and a moment I, to say go, go ahead. I think I think that's what what people respond to because I, I do a couple of classes. One of them is how to pray like Jesus. And we just go through the gospels and see all the different things that Jesus said about prayer and how he interacted with people. And one is about all the healings of Jesus and uh, all the angels in the Bible, all the women in the Bible, and what about the Holy Spirit. And all these stories they resonate with and they can see themselves in there. And I always relate it to them and they, they start to feel love. They, they feel seen and understood. And that's what we all need. We all need to feel worthy of God's love. I've got some friends who, you know, in their Christian persuasion of whatever flavor they are, they don't think, even as Christians, they don't think they're worthy of God's love, you know? And I'm thinking, no, no, no. We're all, everyone's worthy. And that's what my podcast that drops tomorrow morning is all about, is that 
Christmas is all about the fact that everyone is worthy of God's love. You don't have to earn it, obviously. You can't earn it. It's already there. Jesus didn't come to make us worthy. He came because we're worthy. We were worth right. it from the beginning. And uh, it's just a very different perspective. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to come back to one thing maybe to to put a perspective on on what I've come to see as a Christian scientist is I I to me Christian science is in a nutshell looking at things from the perspective of what's true right now in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that was and talk about a startling statement when he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand later he'd say the kingdom of God is within us within you. Uh, that was very different from anything people had heard. But uh, and then you can fuss over the translation. But this nowness and this present sense of the kingdom of heaven being here, I think he he saw something that we can't see with our material eyes. He saw okay, there's a blind man, but I know beyond that in the kingdom of heaven, which is here and now, there's no blindness in heaven. There's there's no sickness. There's no sin, and he can see that he can see that original image and likeness of God, and that's why he could love all those people, and that's why he healed them, um, because he could see who they really were as a child of God, and he didn't get caught up in in the the material surface picture of things. And to me, that's what I've come to see Christian science is it's, it's looking at things from the perspective of what's true in the kingdom of heaven right now. And then you look out and you see everyone as worthy of God's love. You see God loving them all. You can't help but love them yourself. And um, that to me is what Jesus's message is all about is let's get this love out there. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, um, I, I, not, not to, not to push, but I would push back a little bit on that. And I would say, in my, in my, from my, from my perspective, love is never about worth anyway. No, and so no. I don't even well, like I don't even like the jargon anymore. Of okay, someone is worthy or isn't worthy. What I, what my, and from from where I'm from my perspective, I think about my kids, you know, and when my children were born, I loved them instantly and completely, and I would have killed or died for any of them from the moment I saw them, and there was. There was just nothing about deserve or merit in any of that. It was just because that's who I am as their dad. And right. so I think we can be totally. I think we can be super, super charitable in our sense of, hey, everyone's worthy of God's love. And I still think we're wrapping love up in an idea of worth. And so that that's all. That's my only pushback. I, I don't mean to be confrontational no, about no, that. I just no. that's, I, that's just I where really... I sit and go. I'm like, I'm not even sure I I buy all of that terminology anymore. Well, you know, I have, I totally hear what you're saying that. And the, I have used that terminology when I'm talking to people that use it. Yeah. So, so just so they can hear their own language. But I really agree with you. God just loves us because he loves us. We don't, uh, we don't have to earn it. It's, it's, uh, we, we, Jesus said, you're of a, in much more worth than many sparrows. Right, uh, right. I mean, the, the worth is is our our spiritual identity as a child of God. You know, that's priceless. Right. I can see something of value. That's what I'm my, saying. My children were instantly 
like the most precious thing in the world. Yeah, totally. Like, and, and, and and they hadn't done anything except keep their mother up and give her heartburn, you know, and, you know, <laughs> make her mad and cause her a hell of a lot of pain. And um, God loves and, us so much more than that. Yeah. We can't. I mean, there's well, more. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Well, I was just going to say, one of the things I think that happens is we get stuck in language, right? We get stuck in words. Oh, that, right. Um, Very easily, um, for sure. Because, you know, I... I don't want to sound like I'm pushing back either, but the, I, I, as I'm moving forward in whatever you want to call this journey I'm on, right? Certain, certain language doesn't really work for me anymore. Um, right. And so, uh, if, if, you know, again, I don't want to sound like I'm pushing back either, but if I was to push back and, uh, on something, I would, I would push back a little bit on, uh, this idea that someone who, uh, and I, I, I want to, Preface this by I understand what you're saying and I get exactly what you're talking about because we're, we're talking about Jesus and in the Bible. So this part that I'm talking about has a completely different perspective now than then. But someone who was blind in the time of Jesus would have uh, more than likely been considered to have some kind of curse. There was oh, some right. kind of curse on them, right? So now yeah. we know that's not true, right? right? That's not why someone's blind. So uh, whereas in within the time of Jesus, we might have to, there might have to be some language that says, Hey, no, uh, here, let me heal him. So he is now worthy. Right. And I could see where Jesus would have to do something like this, where there was like these moments where Jesus would have to almost kind of push you into this idea that these people are worthy. But now we know, now that we have science and we understand why there's, why there are people who are blind, who are deaf, who have, you know, are different than us. They are worthy in that place. They are worthy in their blindness. They are worthy in their deafness. Um, so we, um, we have a tendency sometimes to use language that makes it sound like they are not worthy if they, if, if, if they aren't healed, right? And we can, we can use that in so many different places now. We can even say that about, you know, drug addiction. We can say that about, you know, actual, you know, places where they are, not the, the same as what we considered an able-bodied person. So it's it's a language that uh, I am just recently trying to like divorce myself from a little bit. Yeah, I totally I totally hear that, and I think well here here's the question. I don't think well, I don't know how to quite say this. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about somebody that's blind today, or any right. whatever the situation is, a, an alcoholic. To me. As a child of God, their worth is is unquestionable. They right. they are valuable in God's eyes. I don't think He defines them by the label of alcoholic or blind person or you know right. disabled person. He sees so much more of who we really are. And uh, my only pushback, to use your phrase, <laughs> on on, all, on 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 this is sometimes I think we. On some of these things today, like uh, disabilities or, or whatever it is, uh, illnesses, God doesn't love somebody less if they have that kind right. of a situation in their life. But sometimes then we say, okay, well, I want to value that person. And we then we say, okay, well, I'm just going to identify them in this way and leave them there. Whereas I believe if Jesus walked up today, he would still heal them. He would still bring a sense of of spiritual wholeness to them. And there's never anyone that he left unhealed who asked him for help. 
Right. He didn't say, well, this is God teaching you a lesson, or this is God's trying to see if you're really faithful or not. Or he didn't say, you have to suffer a little more first. He always healed them. And I think that's one of the things we've lost sight of from Jesus's approach to ministry. And not to say that uh, I can go out and heal everybody like Jesus, but I still hold that in my mind as a possibility. And I've seen some pretty incredible things turned around that some people would say were, you know, a miracle or whatever. But um, I think we always need to be expecting to bear witness to God's full creation. And um, that, I mean, that was the debate. Jesus's disciples were saying, well, Jesus, here's this man that was born blind. You were kind of talking about this. Who yeah. was the one that sinned? Was it his parents or him that sinned that caused him to be born blind? Back to that curse thing you were talking about. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. And like, how could that guy have sinned before he was born anyway? Uh, I mean, there was a the they were trying to make it a theological reason why this guy was blind. And I've had friends do that even today with, well, somebody's in a wheelchair because God is punishing them. I don't believe that at all. Um, well, then let me ask and, you this though, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, how, do, yeah. how do you square? How do you square that that concept of? Um, and I'm not disagreeing that Jesus healed everyone he came into contact with. Um, but how do you square that with the fact that? By and large, that doesn't happen, you know? And I know people of tremendous faith who have suffered and died, you know? <laughs> so. I, do not have the, I do not have the perfect answer at all. Uh, I do know, oh, this is one thing that um, if you study the Christian science faith uh, with an open mind, I'll say, and not the preconception of what um, some churches <laughs> think about us, <laughs> like you were talking about. Um, the uh, My grandmother was healed of breast cancer. Uh, I have seen, I had a, I had a, I don't even know what it was, a, a terrible growth on my abdomen. And it was completely healed through a spiritual prayer process, whatever you want to call it, I've seen so many things happen that show me there's something there that I don't think we've tapped into as much as we can. Uh, and, you know, Jesus' disciples were out healing. He sent them out to heal, and they were healing left and right. And there was one time when he was gone, and the man with the, the epileptic son came to them and said, um, heal my son. And they tried and they couldn't. And later Jesus comes back and he heals the little boy. And in private, his disciples come up and say, well, why couldn't we heal him? And he said, it's because you need prayer and fasting. And I think sometimes it's, I don't know. I know in my own life, when there's something I haven't had a healing of, there I, I have to pray for to know what it is that needs to be prayed about. Sometimes it's not the thing on the surface. I'm not answering your question very well, but oh no, that, um, no, that's okay. I, I, I wasn't looking for a pat answer. I just that those are the those are the questions. It's tough, but I do. I always hold that it's a possibility, and I do not sure. believe that it's God's will that someone suffer. In our conversations that Nat and I have had with you know quite a few different people from different walks of faith or different 
there are people who have, do. They have different perspectives on the way prayer works. Does God heal? Um, did God ever heal? It would be another question, you know, and it, it, these, these are all rabbit trails we could go down. And I think <laughs> at the end of the day, the important part about prayer and connection to God and connection to what Jesus was saying is, I think the important part of all of this, regardless if you believe that they're, they're, can be miraculously healed of something is that they can be healed of this idea that they are not worthy. And yeah. I think that is the most important part of this is that you are loved, period, no matter what. Um, you are worthy. You have always been worthy. Nothing you have done, did, will do, will ever make you not worthy. And that's, I think, a, a, a point I think we can all kind of agree on that, that that's for me. And that that's what needs to be part. healed. I, I agree. And that's what needs to be healed. Uh, I think of the guy that uh, they they brought this man to Jesus on a cot and they wanted him to heal him. And he said, he didn't say, well, stand up and be healed. He said, your sins are forgiven. I think Jesus realized there was something emotionally and mentally blocking of he, you know him he 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 had some kind of sense of guilt or something probably imposed by the religious teachings of the day just like today and right. and it's those kinds of things that are what often causes the a sickness in the first place i've seen that people right. feel so guilty about something they get sick or they're so afraid of they're not doing everything right they get sick yeah there's a lot there's there's a lot more components to that i mean there's a I have a friend who is um, who would approach this from an almost shamanic kind of perspective and say that you know your physical body is capable of healing itself in a lot of ways, and a lot of times what prayer does is help us to reorient even things within our own bodies to help our immune systems work better and to help us combat things that are you know. So I, and I think there's I think there's something to that. You know, I'm not sure I buy off on it wholesale, um, but I do. Say, I also I also come back to this ideology though that that when Jesus healed people in his day and age there was such it, it, it there was such a societal component to these people's sufferings yeah. um so it was I mean obviously being born blind is terrible and you suffer but in Jesus's day that also meant not being permitted entrance into the synagogue you right. know not having access to to, I mean, what you couldn't have a profession, so you were you were pretty much relegated to begging in the streets for money. And so, a restoration of sight, while a physical healing was fantastic, I think it meant so much more that all of a sudden, oh, you, and you got all this stuff back too. Right, By the way, right. now you can go to temple. By the way, now you can actually go get a you know you can actually uh, support yourself and you can have your dignity back and you can have your you know what I'm saying? And so I think we have focused on the physical side of this to the exclusion of some of the other things and painted ourselves into a corner sometimes as Christians saying, well, you know, God wants to heal all of these things. And I'm not, and I'm, I'm not presuming to speak for whether God wants to or not, but we do find ourselves in a difficult position when, when <laughs> so very, very, very often uh, it doesn't happen. And then, you know, I, I'll tell you a story real quickly about a guy that I know who, uh, who was a man, a word of faith guy, you know? So he was just, man, God heals. That's what he does. There's never a time when God doesn't heal. And he and I were in church together and he was teaching a class opposite me. And he was saying these very declarative, you know, statements about God's, not only God's ability, but willingness to heal every single person who asked for it. All you have to do is have enough faith, is what he said. 
Uh, six months later, he was dead. And I'm like, never even had to have, had the chance to have the conversation with him about, okay, so how, how does this work? Where are your answers when you get, you know, what he got was a very aggressive case of cancer that took him out in a few months. Um, and I think we have to be very careful when we, when we, when we operate in those kinds of certitudes, you know what I mean? We paint those big, and I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not saying that you are, please don't misunderstand me. I'm saying Christians in general, we do this stuff a lot. We, we can do that with lots of, uh, for sure. Uh, belief statements, you know? Yeah. And I think that, um, well, I just know that I, I believe that healing is always a possibility. I don't completely understand it. And, uh, but I, I've seen enough of it in my own life and with people that I'm close to. Actually, in, I mentioned that the lady who started the Christian Science Church wrote a book. Her name was Mary Baker Eddy. She wrote a book called Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. And some of your listeners might be interested in that. The last 100 pages is actually letters from people who were healed by engaging with the ideas in the book. So um, there's a, there's a, over a hundred years of people who have been experiencing this healing. And I know it's not just in the Christian science church. A lot of, I've had friends in other churches that have been, uh, you know, had healings and stuff. So it's, it's a fascinating topic. And I think we've only kind of scratched the surface on all that. Even, yeah. I mean, obviously in this conversation, but I mean, as a, as Christendom as a whole, you know, that's why I want to get back to what did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? What right. did he want us to do? Because healing, like uh, Nat was saying, is not just about your physical body. It's about a wholeness spiritually where you you find your, I would say, your original identity as God's image and likeness. I mean, that's pretty amazing. If we really could see ourselves as that, uh, we wouldn't carry around all this baggage that we think belongs to us. Right. No, I, I agree with you on, uh, on some of that. So, uh, I mean, there's, within the scientific world, there is definitely a, um, there's a diagnosis, you know, uh, I believe it's called conversion disorder, where you can, as you take on these anxieties, right? And I think, you know, um, I always feel like I need to, like, Explain when I when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the church at large. I'm not talking about a very specific church. So if you if as as listeners hear this, if if your church doesn't do this, awesome, great. But church at large has a tendency to create these these anxieties in people, and then within this within the science scientific side of this this idea of conversion disorder, you actually your body actually converts these anxieties into actual sicknesses. Actually, get sick. Well, that was that was one of the premises in this book I just mentioned. That was what yeah. one of the things she and this book first came out in eighteen seventy five. She was really seeing the connection between, you know, our our fears, our thoughts, our beliefs to how that makes us well or sick. And she she felt like, well, if that's if the cause is a mental one, then the solution, the real solution, has to be a mental and spiritual one. No, I can I can buy that. I mean, it makes some sense. Hey, before we run out of time, I did want to ask you about um, your book. So you said soon to be author. You working on something cool? I am working on several different manuscripts, and I don't know which one's going to come out of the, <laughs> out of the Plato okay, cool. uh, machine, out of the Plato factory first. Um, right, right. <laughs> um, 
I'm really, especially of, the, of this year, I'm focusing on imbibing and embracing and living with the mindset of Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. And I don't think we have begun to even, well, we maybe have begun to scratch the surface or think about scratching the surface to what that means. But most people, a lot of churches I know, back to the church at large that you're talking about, John, uh, a lot of people are running around with the mindset of Adam. They're thinking of themselves. They've been taught they're these miserable sinners and that God's always ready to punish them for any little tiny thing. And Jesus had a completely different mindset. Um, He knew the Father. He knew his relationship with the Father. He knew how much God loved him. He knew that God always um, answered his prayers and listened to him. Uh, He knew how precious he was in God's eyes. And I think to the degree that we can get back to this mindset of Jesus, we will we'll be able to follow him more to get back to the, what we were saying earlier. So whichever book I put out is going to be, um, it's going to be about the mindset of Jesus uh, and how to live that in our, in our own lives. And that it's, we can, we have to give ourselves permission to do that because some churches are not allowing people to, uh, realize that that's their birthright, their divine spiritual birthright. So that's kind of where I'm coming from on, I, I don't, I don't know how it's going to come out in the book, but that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love, I love that, that there's multiple irons in the fire and we'll see, we'll see where they go. Right. Yeah. Um, so we should look forward to a, a release from you sometime in the next couple months. Oh, not <laughs> <I'm kidding>. quite. <laughs> okay. Well, you thrown down the gauntlet. I'm uh, put down I'm that, put the screw. Hey, in the time since we've started recording this podcast, Keith Giles has written three more books. So no, it's not the last trip. No kidding. Keith, if you're that's listening, probably you true. But you're pissing all us up. You're pissing us all off. You set the bar well, too high, I, man. I really yeah. appreciate Keith. He's um, He's doing a great service to breaking down some of these traditions, these traditionalisms that have grown up and attached themselves to the church in the last 2,000 years. And yeah, people, yeah, don't, people don't realize it. You know, to put it in historical context, I know you all had uh, Beth Allison. Um, yeah. What's her name? The lady that wrote Beth Allison Barr. Yeah, Beth, Beth Allison, Allison Barr. Barr. Yeah. You know, she broke down some of that stuff. It was just wonderful I'm not that kind of a historian, but it's wonderful right. when people do that because oh, yeah, was, we don't realize what we're doing sometimes. We're carrying somebody else's baggage around and think we're right. supposed to just because somebody else did. And yeah, I I'd say, yeah, between her and Christian, Christian Dumay, those two um, really opened my eyes to a lot of this, the, his, the history of how, you know, how women were treated in the church and how it, how it's changed, right? Specifically in, it seems right. in a very short part of, I mean, it's, it's, there's been always been a patriarchal system within the Christian faith. And it's interesting to see how the, um, how we have silenced women and, uh, they did, both of them definitely, um, gave us a lot to chew on in, in those episodes. Yeah. Yeah. No, but you're right. There's a, there's something about people who can bring that, um, that historical framework into it and can go, okay, actually what you, what you, exactly what you said is right. You're, you're carrying somebody else's baggage here. 
Um, if yeah. we could, uh, the one of the one of the most startling things that 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 Beth talked about to me was um, just how pagan some of the origins of of patriarchy are. And I'm like, man, if you, oh, right, yeah. if you could just convince a bunch of Bible believing Christians that patriarchy is actually not Christian, it's pagan, I think they'd run screaming from the whole thing because well, they hate pagan stuff. So, but see, they <laughs> but see, they have invested so heavily oh, in it. That's also it very is, true. It's yeah, yeah. hard to admit you're wrong. Yeah, we all know that. Well, so much of their structure, so much of their, well, heck, their their livelihood, their own sense of right. self importance, yeah. you know, is all right. wrapped up in in that particular perspective. But there needs to be a revolutionary act of humility inside the church I, that says, "Okay, we're willing to reevaluate everything in light of Christ and and take a yeah. look at you know some places where we've gotten this wrong, you know." And that's what that's what I'm hopeful for. I'm guardedly cautiously optimistic that some of that stuff is beginning to change, but I'm also, you know, I'm a bit of a realist too. So we'll, we'll, well see how far it probably, goes. That's <laughs> probably a pretty good position. I'm, <laughs> I, I feel a stirring of the Holy Spirit across all platforms. And sometimes, you know, if you're going to build a building, you have to tear down the one that was there before because the foundation is not secure or, or sound, and you have to reinforce this foundation. And I think that's what's happening in, in the Christian church at large right now is there's some structures that were not built completely on the rock of Christ. They're built on the sand of yeah. personal opinions and and personalities and egos. And so that has to come down, and it's not pleasant. But it's, it's really a positive, it's a positive thing in the long run. It is, it is. And I, I, I was, we had a really cool conversation with a guy and one of, one of the things that stuck with me from Bio's um, interview with us, Bio Komalafe, was that, you know, honestly, in, in, some, in some instances, what needs to be, what needs to be torn down doesn't necessarily need to be replaced. No, and right. And so we're really quick to tear down and go, hey, this structure is rotten, decrepit, needs to go. And then we come right behind and we build something very, very similar in its place. And yeah, it might be improved, but um, that's, I, I feel like the church is going through that sort of upheaval right now where we're going to look up and um, we may look up in 50 or 100 years and the church may be you know, unrecognizable compared to what it was. And I hope so, actually, because I think the structures and the apparatus and the machinery of church has got to go. But I'm also reticent to see what gets rebuilt in its place, you know, with the, with the, with the hubris that comes along with, well, we've done it better now. You know, oh, no, no, the, that, that was the old church. This is the new thing. You know, and I'm like, no, how about we reimagine that all entirely? You know, and hey, I've got a, a really startling idea. What if we went back to see what Jesus said to do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what, maybe. What a, what a well, now, you, that might be taking it a step too far, sir. I think you, <laughs> might have, you might have. Yeah. And, all right. and well, so we, I, <laughs> I, I hope that you with your podcasts and my and me with mine can maybe help contribute to that. I think you are. Yeah. Uh, I hope I am because there are many voices out there trying to give some light and some hope and an encouragement in this. And that's, I think that's what a lot of people need because they may be caught up in one of those situations and they don't know how to get out. And when they hear someone say it's okay to ask questions, they're okay to challenge authority, or okay to walk out the door. That's that's good. 
Yeah, 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 that's great. Yeah, yeah, and you guys are doing that. And well, well sadly, uh, I, I, I think Matt and I have heard this. I think too many times from people who have popped up in our Facebook group. Um, I've gotten a few private messages. I'm going to assume that Nat has too. And one of the one of the leading things they say is, "I thought I was alone. I thought I was the only one going exactly. through this." Exactly. Yeah. And sadly, church has done a really good job of making you feel like that. That if yeah, you're questioning what, yeah, yeah, if you <laughs> feel like you have questions that the church can't answer, that you're the only one. And they really do a good job of making you feel like you must be a horrible person for ask, asking these questions. And they silence you pretty damn quick. And yeah. so I'd say that's probably the, the top comment I get from people is wow. I, I honestly thought I was the only one going through this. Well, and it's weird because in that respect, that's a very cultic practice. You know, exactly. I'm actually, yeah. I'm actually going through, um, I meant to tell you, I'm, so I'm the, I had to read back, I had to go back and rewrite a chapter of this book. And and in the midst of having to rewrite it because I lost a chunk of it, man, I'm so mad. Oh, but anyway, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> I had been rewatching um, a television documentary series on Scientology, and I'm just fascinated. Uh, cults fascinate me. I mean, just the whole concept of the mind, you know, that you can get people to do things against their own best interests that you can convince them. And I started seeing all of these that, like, wow. Like there's a lot of stuff that the that the institutional church traffics in that bears an awful lot of similarities yeah. to the way now not maybe not to the same extremes. I'm not calling churches cults, but I'm saying that there's a lot of the same principles employed that ultimately are about control and that are ultimately about manipulation. Totally. And always manifest themselves in abuse and you know, yep. and like John said, you know, isolation where you feel like you'll, you know, like you're not like you're not allowed to question because if you do, that says something about you. So there's all, a lot of that stuff that just resonates. It's like, okay, we, you know, even if we don't go to the extremes of, of some of these different groups, and um, we should still be very, very cautious about employing any of those same tactics um, to try and well, keep reign over human, people. Yeah, the human mind, the human ego is invariably uh, an idol maker. It bows down and worships idols of its own creating, and it can be within the Christian church context, whether it's a, a yeah, leader yeah. or, I mean, I think some people, uh, I'll go out on the limb a tiny bit here. I think some people have, have made a cult out of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Instead oh, of, yeah. Absolutely. You know, it, instead of just really following him, they, they've turned him into this cult figure almost. And mm-hmm. it's a mindless oh, no. thing, you know, so... Yeah. Uh, to well, they've they've made it idols of the Bible. They've made idols of, you know, their own God concepts. You know, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think you're right. I do think there's something in us that gravitates towards um, things that are more concrete. Um, so let me g- give me something tangible I can go. So the Bible is very appealing in that it it, it can it can appeal to those who are looking for um, certitude. Okay, well, the Bible says here, boom, 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 here we do. And so they can, you know, you can sort of order your life in such a way that you go, well, now I have chapter and verse. And we all know people like this, right? The second you the second you um, offer an opinion about anything, you know, the next thing I get is, well, chapter and verse, where did that come from? Like, if it didn't come out of the Bible, it's not true. Um, I'm like, man, you have just built a golden calf and shaped it in, you know, in a leather-bound KJV. Well, that's what that Sunday school teacher said to me back when I was in high school. Yeah. God doesn't talk to us today. We've got the Bible. We don't need anything else. Right. And I mean, I love the Bible. There's a lot yeah, of wisdom no, in absolutely. there. 
But God talks to me. I mean, I ask questions and I get answers. Yeah. Uh, sometimes dumb little stuff like, where did I, where are my car keys? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, that's, it's about having a relationship with, my wife doesn't even like the word God. She was, she grew up an atheist and, you know, to her, God is just this infinite sense of love. Yeah. Uh, but it's having a relationship with that. Uh, A two-way, back-and-forth relationship, that to me is what um, God is all about, is, you know, feeling. I had a dream, oh, I don't know, a month or so ago, where I felt in my dream there was this sort of divine figure. It wasn't, it it may have been Jesus, I don't know, but I just felt, I, I felt seen, I felt known. I felt understood. I felt valued. It was the most amazing experience. I mean, that that feeling left, uh, stayed with me for days. Um, And just talking about it now, it brings it back. It was just, it was not some words out of a book. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was an actual presence of, and, and anyway, it was just amazing. And that's what we all need because then you realize, okay, all this baggage I'm carrying around of self pity or whoa, whoa is me or I'm not as good as somebody else. And all these things we tell about ourselves or I'm better than everybody else. All these stories we tell about ourselves just, they're not really who we are. And, uh, man, I agree. That's anyway. a, that's a, that's a great place to, I think, land, John. I think I need. I need yeah. to uh, yeah. I need to make a, a departure here pretty soon, but yeah, I want to make sure. So the the, the podcast is called um, "The Bible Speaks to You." The, the, is that right? the Bible speaks to you. Okay, right. so that's uh, and that's available. I'm guessing across across all streaming platforms, or has it started yet? Oh yeah, I've actually uh, I'm in my starting my third year. I've oh okay, uh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, so, over a hundred episodes. So, so Spotify, Apple, all those great all podcasting those, uh, platforms for well, sure. Well, and I would I would. Um, uh, encourage your listeners if they're interested to go to my website, thebiblespeaks2.com forward slash not church. I'm going to put together a special page just for your listeners. Not church oh, cool. is all one word. And um, they can either sign up for the um, the podcast there. That way they'll get any special announcements I have. I'm also, I'll put together a special um, playlist of podcast episodes that have to do with uh, identity, you know, our spiritual identity and purpose, that sort of thing. And we didn't really talk about this, but I also do um, coaching. I call myself the Jesus Mindset Coach. I really, I help people learn to think and live with this mindset of Jesus and, um, if someone would like to sign up for just a, a, the fr- the first time is totally free just to see if it's actually a coaching session. It's not just talking about it. And I work with someone and, and then if we want to go forward, they can. But all that will be on that page. The Bible speaks to you forward slash uh, not church. And uh, I would love to anybody I can if you feel if you're listening now and you feel like anything I've said has resonated with you, I'd love to chat more. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Oh, perfect. We will make sure that there are links in the show notes um, yeah, to definitely. all of that, uh, to your to your podcast and to the 
the website you just mentioned. And uh, man, we'll look forward to maybe connecting with you at some point in the future, brother. Well, I would love to have this conversation uh, offline or online again. Uh, yeah, for it's sure. Really, a, it's really an honor to to talk to you guys. I've really appreciated what you're doing with your show, and it's just it's doing a world of good out there. So keep it up and keep asking those good questions. All right, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate you being able to uh, give us some time and chat with us today. So uh, again, just thank you for coming on. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.